Hello and welcome back to the West Bank Bible Church podcast. I'm Dave. Today we'll be on lesson number 38 in the book of Daniel, which is in chapter 3. Update on Pastor Merritt. Slowly, slowly improving. On Sunday, we did a good amount of getting up out of the bed and standing up and going to sit in the chair. And... Uh, Keep that improving, because he wants to get back here and help me with these lessons. And I think he wants to do that even more than he wants to go to Waffle House with Tyler and I for breakfast. And he wants to go do that awful bad. And please continue to pray for Pastor Merritt. And uh, pray with me that I'm able to present this lesson uh, in a way that'll both do some justice to the Word and provide you with some doctrine. Before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you Again, for all your many blessings. I read something that said, you're the same God that's with us on the mountain, that's with us in the valley. We thank you for that. We thank you for for providing this word. Help us and guide us to take in the word and metabolize the doctrine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, last week gave you several principles found in Daniel 3, verse 4 through 8. Then began a study of what the scriptures teach us about music. When time ran out, we finished the lesson last week. We're about to start on how music played a significant role in Daniel's life. Page 1 and 2 of the outline or review from last week's lesson. If you need that, go back and listen to last week's lesson. We're going to begin at the top of page three. And here we go. Daniel was a great musician and songwriter. 1 Samuel 16, 18. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. David celebrated the recovery of the ark from the Philistine with song. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from the Lord of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of host that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, 
accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of firwood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. Dancing to music, David celebrated the return of the ark to Jerusalem. His dancing got him into trouble with his wife. So, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 through 15, David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedadam into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bar the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Music can have a soothing effect on some. 1 Samuel 16, 16. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. David, as a type of Christ, often sang to his soldiers and praised God in their presence. Psalms chapter 18, verse 49 Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Romans 15, 9, So that when the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Music and singing is used to also convey doctrine as well as to respond to God's greatness and what we know about him. This is still true today in the church age. When the church gathers for worship, there is to be singing and it should be consistent with God's word. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. It is to be orderly and only done for the purpose of building up the souls of those assembled. 1 Corinthians 14.26 What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. There must be a message, or it is worthless. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 7 and 8. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? In summary, music is a valid worship tool, but like all worship tools, must be done in accordance with the protocol plan of God.
Now back to our context in Daniel chapter 3. Verse 6. Those who do not worship the image will be thrown into a fiery, fiery furnace and burned alive. We know now that the plain of Dura was used for still another purpose. This was the arena where criminals and political offenders were put to death. Jeremiah 29.22 documents the fact that the fiery furnace was typical Babylonian punishment. And that verse 22 and 23 read, Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. The Lord treats you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and in my name have spoken lies, which I did not tell them to do. I know it, and am I witness to it, declares the Lord. Usually, a certain amount of festivity is accompanied these executions, and large crowds came to witness the spectacle. Therefore, when the command was given to worship the image, the horrors of the alternative were vivid in the memories of almost everyone. Probably the flames belching from the furnace were visible to all the people assembled there. And even believers were prone to rationalize that the Lord would understand if they fell down before the image. Perhaps they thought, surely God doesn't want me to die, and it won't hurt anything for me to kneel. If I obey the king, I can retain my place in the community and continue to witness to others. I can still have a good testimony, but if I die... This is the same type of sloppy thinking prevalent among many Christians today. If you are in a position where biblical principles are compromised on any level, your only course of action is to separate yourself, and this certainly includes apostate churches. Sooner or later, every believer faces a situation where he or she must choose between doctrine and mammon. This can be in any area of life, but it always involves a choice between God's direct will versus that which is non-biblical. God never honors compromise, a point which cannot be overemphasized. Now for verse 7. The band began to play, and all the people fell down and worshipped the image as commanded, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Principles. Worship is the peel, active plurative, participle of sagda, S-A-G-A-D-H, meaning to fall down in adoration. Here is an example of physical prostration without mental assent. Religion stresses the outer superficialities of ritual and conformity, while Christianity Christianity emphasizes the inter, inner mental attitude. God has given to every member of the human race a free will, and one should always be able to make a choice, even the wrong one. Nebuchadnezzar violated that principle. He demanded that the people obey his volition. This was the Chaldean Empire at its worst. Remember that even God does not tamper with our personal freedom 
when it comes to spiritual matters. There are four divine institutions. They are volition, marriage, family, and nationalism. Governments must protect these if the nation is to prosper. In the case of volition, a client nation must support freedom. Freedom to succeed and freedom to fail. And thus a minimal amount of government will maximize freedom and promote volition. Volition was instituted in the garden as the mechanism for resolving the angelic conflict. God could have made us all believers, but he didn't. He demands we choose. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 1 John 1.12 Yet to all who received him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Acts 16.13 They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nebuchadnezzar has obviously chosen to prohibit the exercise of God's first divine institution. Now for the dedication crisis in verses 8 through 12. And here we go. Several members of a priestly caste, however, peeked and noticed that there were three very conspicuous Jews who did not bow, so they asked and received an audience with Nebuchadnezzar. One of the jealous priests reported that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. They greeted the king and said, O king, live forever. You made a decree that at the sound of the band every man shall fall down and worship the golden image. And anyone who fails to fall down and worship shall be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the fairs of the province of Babylon that have not shown respect to the king. Principles The accusers were of the priestly caste who served as advisors to the king. These men resented the fact that four of the highest offices in the land had been given to Jews who were, in their eyes, mere hostages. They demonstrated their pettiness and jealousy by seeking to rid the empire of these brilliant men. Jealousy is one of the most vicious facets of the old sin nature. When someone is successful, there will always be people who are jealous. If the Lord is using and blessing you, you can expect to be the object of sour grapes. Jealousy is a mental attitude sin that can lead to bitterness, envy, sins of the tongue, 
murder, and so on. Jealousy can destroy the enjoyment of Category 2 love. That's love between the right man and right woman. Samuel 8, 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as unyielding as the grave. Jealousy can destroy anyone and can even lead to psychosis. Job 5.2 Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. Proverbs 14.30 A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's a common reaction. Colonel R.B. Thien once said, If you have never been jealous that it is possible, you have never been in love or never had a strong emotional attachment to anything. Many people have no problem with jealousy and then suddenly they fall in love and find themselves jealous. If you feel strongly about something or someone, it is then that jealousy a horrific mental attitude sin raises its ugly head. We must not confine our coverage of jealousy, however, to just category two love. Jealousy occurs whenever there are strong feelings. Often siblings are jealous of a brother or sister. Athletes are jealous of their teammates. Pastors are jealous of each other. Professional people are jealous of one another. Church members are jealous of their fellow congregates. Businessmen are jealous of their peers, and even criminals are jealous of their crow hearts in crime. The sin of jealousy includes the concepts of covetousness, envy, the inability to accept rivalry, and the inability to positively accept the prosperity of others. The mental attitude and sin of jealousy is therefore related to the sins of judgment, pride, refusing to forgive others, wanting to be first, not wanting others to have things unless you too can have the same. Jealousy as a mental attitude sin is closely related to the heinous sin of pride. The sin of pride is the first of the seven major sins listed in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Rivalry is not part of God's plan because it is he who establishes authorities he promotes and demotes. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. I urge, then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Romans 13.1 Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And I'm going to continue on with some other verses in different books. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Matthew in chapter 7 warns of judging. 
is a terrible mental attitude sin with serious traumatic consequences that more often than not, it has a dark roots in the mental attitude sin of jealousy and or bitterness. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. God is the mentor of every born-again Christian, and as such, he, from his omniscience and sovereignty, has provided us our very own spiritual life. It is perfect and includes a host of others who are none of our business. Authority realms are there to protect us from one another. This is especially necessary given our terrible propensity to judge and be jealous, bitter, etc. Jealousy often motivates revenge, and revenge puts us nose to nose with God just asking for his knockout punch. Deuteronomy 32.35 To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Romans twelve nineteen, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give proper place unto wrath, for it is rich written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Revenge is a product of trifling with another man's wife. Proverbs six thirty two. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Verse 33 and 34. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. As the scripture says, it is God who causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Therefore, there is no place in the realm of proper Christian thinking for jealousy. Matthew 5.45 That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If it didn't rain on the just and the unjust, then there would be secular and not supernatural motivation to believe and be saved. The source of jealousy, like all mental attitude sins, is the old sin nature, where mental attitude sins insidiously poison our souls. This is understandable when one considers that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
Who can know it? The Bible says, even the Lord Jesus Christ is sometimes preached because of jealousy and contentions as opposed to proper motivation. Philippians chapter 1 verse 14 through 18. And the great majority of the brethren having come to state of settled confidence in the Lord, having been influenced by the gentle persuasion of my shackles to take that step of confidence and more abundantly bold, fearlessly breaking their silence and speaking the word of God. In fact, certain ones are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, but also certain others who because of goodwill are proclaiming Christ. Some indeed out of a spirit of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the good news. But others, out of a partisan, self-seeking spirit, are proclaiming Christ, not with pure, unadulterated motives, but in sincerity, thinking to raise up additional afflictions to my already existing chains. What is my feeling in view of these things? The only thing that matters is that in every manner, whether in pretense or in truth, whether in sincerely or sincerely, Christ is being proclaimed. And in this I am rejoicing, and I will certainly continue to rejoice. That concludes lesson number 38 in the book of Daniel. As always, thanks for being here. Look forward to having you back next week, maybe another couple of weeks. we have Pastor Merritt back with us. But until then, anyone out there in the sound of my voice that does not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I urge you to open your hearts and minds to God and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word you had given us, and thank you for the opportunity to share it. We pray blessings on all those in authority over us. They make wise decisions, and we pray for those less fortunate and more fortunate than us. And Lord, help us take stock of what we all, all have and that old sin nature of jealousy, which was laid out so clearly for us here today. Bless us in the coming week. We look forward to having everyone again with us next week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Until next time. So long.